Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to Inside Strategic Coach with Dan Sullivan and special guest today, an author of Smart Not Spoiled, Chad Willardson. Chad, it is awesome to have you on the show. Cannot wait to jump into Smart Not Spoiled, this incredible book. Let me just read the subtitle, The Seven Money Skills Kids Must Master Before Leaving the Nest. Super important topic that a lot of people miss. So before we jump in, Dan, I know you've got some great things to say about why this is important, but Chad, why don't you give us a little bit of an intro as to who you are and why you wrote the book? So this topic is important to me both professionally and personally. And uh, once again, Shannon and Dan, thank you for having me on. I'm a father of five kids. My wife and I have five children, ages six to 17. And one of the things that we struggle with as successful entrepreneurs is how do we teach our kids to be smart and not spoiled? How do we not ruin them? You know, they have things that we never had. And so my background in wealth management for entrepreneurs and families, I just felt like if I can't get this right, then nobody can. And so I I needed to really kind of dispense the knowledge I've gained as a parent and as a financial expert to the world to give families and parents resources to really, you know, figure out what do we need to teach kids? How do we need to teach them? And why do we need to teach them about money? To teach them basically the correct principles that are not being taught in schools. And so that's just something that I'm very passionate about and and that's where this book came from. I was thinking of how great it was, uh, the timing of the book that it came out during what I call the great lockdown, you know, worldwide. And I think that the issue of education and children So obviously education in the family and how the family educates, but the kind of education that children are receiving in the school, that's suddenly become a hot issue. I'm a kind of a political junkie, and so I read the articles and I watch what's going on. And it seems to me that we've reached a tectonic shift in how parents are thinking, especially if they're entrepreneurial parents in the They have the position to kind of create the freedom for their family to kind of operate according to their own values, their own principles. So can you think of a single incident that actually triggered the decision to write the book? Because it also accompanied something you did with your children at the same time. Sure. It's such an interesting opportunity to really step back and evaluate what are my kids being taught and who's teaching them? And is that what I really want? And I would say, you know, one of the instances I referenced in my book was we talk about how my wife and I have never paid an allowance. You know, we just have never given our kids an allowance, just paying them to exist and to breathe. We've always tried to create opportunities for them to take initiative and to be entrepreneurial to earn money. I remember we were leaving Disneyland and we'd already spent a lot of money that day with five kids at Disneyland. And it's the end of the day, the fireworks show's done, and we're walking out towards the tram to the parking lot. And one of my younger children sees the Mickey Mouse balloons that are glow in the dark and says, Dad, Dad, can we each get one of those Mickey Mouse balloons? And, and I was like, uh, no, we've already kind of spent enough money for the day, so we're just going to call it a day. And they're like, well, just go over to that money machine box over there and mm-hmm. take some of the money out, and then we can get our balloons. And it kind of hit me like, you know what? If they think the money comes that freely out of the money machine box, then we need to do a little bit more uh, conversations and education about the source of money and what money means. And that was one of the kind of one of the moments where I said, I've got to do something differently, obviously. So, yeah. 
Chad, what about yourself? Let's get a little history here. How did you grow, grow up? I grew up in a middle-income family, pretty modest home. My parents were married. I'm the oldest of four kids, and we had about a 1,000-square-foot house when I was growing up. My parents had a 10-year-old used car, very frugal, very responsible, very charitable, but not a lot of money, background, not entrepreneurs, no entrepreneurs in my family. I was kind of the more of a, of a risk taker personality, kind of a go for it kind of kid. You know, it, we were taught to be responsible, but I didn't know much about money growing up. So this is something that I learned after I started my career post-college. Mm-hmm. So the other issue that came up at the same time as the motivation to write the book was your own observations that right at the beginning of the lockdown, what happened to the school system and how your own children, who I guess are all in the school system. So if they're six to 17, I would say they're all connected. So what did you observe? First of all, it was unnatural situation. So there was Mm -hmm. disruption just caused by a general a natural situation in the world. But what did you observe that just said, even when it's natural, there's something wrong here? I think what was interesting is, first of all, school was canceled. And I live in the state of California, so we have stricter rules than some of the states in the U.S. But first school was canceled, and then it was brought back virtually. And if you can imagine, I'm working mostly from home virtually, and then I have five kids who are supposed to each be Zooming from home So we've got six of us, my wife's trying to manage it, and at the same time, we're going through a major home remodel. So it was like 15 to 20 construction workers plus six of us on Zoom. It was chaos. But as we started observing a little bit about how the learning was going with the Zoom school in this new world, it kind of caused me to pause and reflect. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I said, is this really what we want? You know, do we want our kids in this system? And are we getting the value that we really want? And do we have the freedoms that we want? And basically the answer was no to all of that. Mm -hmm. As we saw what was being taught and the learning that was happening, it was like, you know what, if we take this into our own hands, if we find some potential partners and tutors that are experts in their fields, could we create a curriculum? Could we create a program where we could teach kids about entrepreneurship and money and finance and you know, communication and public speaking and lots of these things that aren't really taught in the school systems. And so it coincided me with writing this book, the decisions to really kind of check out of the matrix for our kids and get out of that system and create a more family value focused program that we feel will serve our kids better in the long run. Well, one of the things that's interesting is, Shannon, you probably remember it was a TED Talk And it was the person who talked about outliers. Malcolm Gladwell. It could have been Malcolm Gladwell, but I don't think it was. It was somebody else. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. But this Mm -hmm. person, and he said that you have to understand, he said that for about the last hundred years, we've thought about processing people in systems Mm -hmm. that are very, very similar to how factories process materials and products. And, you know, that was kind of appropriate. That was kind of appropriate because the type of life, the type of lifestyle, the type of work that people would do 
when they finished 12 years of the primary and secondary school factory, they would go out and they would get jobs in factories and they would live in housing areas and in communities where everybody worked in the factory. But that's not been true now for a good 30, 30 or 40 years. And I think that education is the last system in society to change. Totally. Yeah, it was Dr. Ken Robinson's TED Talk, which was phenomenal because he said that's how the system was designed to produce people for factory workers. But that is no longer the world we live in, but that's still our education system. Yeah, it was very interesting. I actually got onto this very, very early. So I was born in the 40s and started first grade in 1950. And I had a mother who was, you know, just totally that what you're interested in, get really interested in it. And, you know, things that you're really passionate about, really build some skill around the things that you're passionate about. And I remember when my mother died, my sister, who is the oldest, she's 87, almost 87. And she sent all my report cards that my mother had stored away. So uh, 12 years of school, one through 12, same building, same more or less 50 students I went to school with. So you got two report cards a year. And so I had 24 report cards. Hmm. It was interesting because of mostly A's, you know, I was a good student, but there would be a C every once in a while. And I remember I'd bring it home and show my mom. And she says, well, I guess you weren't interested in that, Hmm. you know. So the big thing is that I feel blessed that I think that I had two, you know, highly individual parents. You know, my father only got through to grade eight and he was a farmer and my mother graduated. And I think she did a teaching program somewhere because she was a supply teacher. But even then, you know, I could tell that the world was changing in my teens and my 20s. I just said, you know, I don't think that these big monstrous systems, these factories were these big pyramids and the office buildings that went along with them were pyramids and the big government pyramids and union pyramids. Everything was a big pyramid. And I just had a sense that things were changing because the technology was changing. Yeah. So when you made the decision that the system was no longer doing what well, the system was doing exactly what systems are supposed to do is your argument with your children being systematized. You didn't want your children actually being systematized. What did you focus on then as the replacement for them? We started with the thought process of what are some of the values and skills we think our children would need to learn to be most prepared to be successful in their future. And I think one of the problems is the curriculum, like you said, I don't think it's evolved much. It hasn't changed much. It's a systems-based curriculum. And, you know, in the book, I talk about how teenagers graduate high school knowing how to dissect a frog and they know the inner parts of a cell, but they have no idea anything about investing or taxes or borrowing or, you know, cash flow budgeting or things like that, that every single adult is going to need to learn. And so my wife and I essentially started from ground zero What do we want our kids? What are the values and skills we want our kids to learn by the time they're 18 years old? And then the next step was, well, who are some of the mentors and experts and what are the best minds and thinkers that they can tap into to teach those different values and skills? So fortunately, when it comes to the entrepreneurial things and the 
financial skills, that's something that I can fill. But there are many other topics that we've looked at and had to bring in some who not how partners. So just as you talked about this in the social settings, which you did, I'm sure, you know, friends, family, whatever. Was there a range of response to what you were doing? Definitely a range. I don't think people are surprised with it now because they kind of know that I, I'm a quick start and I make decisions based on kind of what seems like the best route. But certainly some people, I think, express the desire to do it, but they just didn't have the courage to. I felt like that was one of the things I noticed. It's like, man, I would love to do that. But, you know, they just don't have that next level courage to check their kids out of the system and really explore what's best for them. You know, we just went to New York City for Thanksgiving break and my wife kept our younger three kids for an extra week there and went to all these cool museums and did these basically hands-on experiential historical site visits for a full week. She had it all mapped out. And it's like my kids would never get that kind of experience if they're sitting in a classroom for eight hours Mm -hmm. hearing lectures out of a book. But here they are. They can say, I've been to the Natural Museum of History, and here's the cool stuff I saw with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You look like you're just at the beginning of your career, but you've actually got quite a number of years behind you. Clients kind of like you? Do you have clients the financial investment clients who are also dealing with the same issue? Yes, I would say most of our clients, I think in our business, and this is my 20th year in business, but in our business, you kind of attract clients who are like you. And so when I write down my ideal client, if I'm honest with myself, I look at the list and I'm like, it's kind of like like who I would want to be close friends with, someone who's like me. But it's the ambitious, it's the growth-focused, high-earning entrepreneur family-oriented, goals-focused, coachable, those kinds of people. And those people are definitely seeing the same issues with what their kids are being taught and what they want their kids to learn. So I felt like the book Smart Not Spoiled has been a great hit amongst those types Mm -hmm. of people because it's exactly what they're looking for. You know, I've had lots of people reaching out saying, hey, I got a couple copies, but I'm buying another 20 books and I'm going to send them to you. Could you sign them? Because I want to give them out to everyone I know who's got kids. Because it's something that we're thirsty for is teaching kids values about financial literacy and success and entrepreneurship because it's just not being taught anywhere else. So when you do this, you were talking about courage. People don't have courage. And one of the things that I find is that People who are courageous in the eyes of other people, certainly it is courage, I mean, to do something different. But the other thing, I always find that it's informed courage, that they have a sense that there's actually currents that are going in a completely different direction, and I want my children to be ready Mm. for those currents. So what are you seeing in society that you may be not going against the norm at all, but you're kind of taking advantage of something that will be the new norm. I see the currents taking it in a different direction in the sense that what these kids learn, even in college, let's say as a freshman in college, four years later, that stuff's completely irrelevant. Technology has changed and passed them by. And so I feel like learning on the go, my kids can look up something on YouTube and learn how to do something faster than taking a four-month course in school. And so I see technology, collaboration, 
free sourcing of information everywhere, just really speeding up and accelerating the opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I want my kids to be on the front lines. I want them to be on the edge of that technology growth and not to be sitting there just tolerating and accepting a system that is so slow moving. You know, I don't want them to get left behind. So in Coach, we have some profiles, the first one being the Colby profile and then the Strength Finder. And to what degree have you taken advantage of analytical profile tools that you use yourself and you use them for your company, probably use them for your clients? Have you also applied those to your children? I have for my older two. I learned a lot. It makes more sense. My oldest child is a lot like me. She's an eight quick start. She loves to get up in front of a room and speak and she can come up with stuff on the fly. She gave a public speech yesterday in front of a couple hundred people. And I knew someone in the audience and they said, I have never heard a teenager just get up and own the room like that. And she had no notes. She was just going for it. And until I use those tools, I just kind of could sense what she's good at, but I could really kind of nail it down knowing what her scores are and what the tools are. So we've used that for our older two kids. We used it for my wife and I. In fact, we recently had a call with Christy and, and Julian. We're just talking about, and even Shannon, about some of the ways that we can work together because I'm a 7681 and my wife is a 7518. So she's not a quick start and she's a high implementer and I'm exact opposite. So I think using these tools in the family is extremely beneficial. Mm-hmm. The sort of beginning point of unique ability, I think, is crucial here. And I know when all the talk, you know, the summer of 2020, when you had the riots, you know, it was starting to get intensely political. And that even came, I think, from the personal lives of the people who worked at Coach. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was talking because I was hustling to supply you and I were hustling actually to create entirely new content that summer for our entrepreneurs. And I was appreciating that, you know, if this whole group identity or looking at who's competing and who has the greatest claim for being victimized by society, you know, and all of a sudden color makes a difference, size makes a difference, what you're attracted to makes a difference. I said, you know, if you don't start with unique ability, you're going to take a wrong road somewhere along the line. And I think that the unique ability concept, just in the way that our team has performed for the last two years, Chad, I told our team we had a start the new year meeting first week of January, and we had an extraordinary year last year. I mean, I think quality of sales last year combined with the quantity of sales, it was the best sales year in the history of the company. But just everything, how we treated the clients, how we stayed in touch with the clients. And I told them, I said, you know, I can't think of a single thing that this company could have done better over the last two years than you did. And I said, I just feel intensely proud. But it goes back again that everything in coach starts with the individual's unique ability. So I'm wondering if specifically or just because you've become very, very clear about your own unique ability, 
that whether this gives you a sense of safety about your children, if you can just get them in touch with what they're uniquely good at, Absolutely. then there are certain skills. I think there are certain skills. I still think reading, writing, and arithmetic are sure. really, sure. really important, but that the individual really knows their own uniqueness, that they're an individual, and that being popular with their group is not their standard for their judgment. Absolutely. In fact, in the chapter I talk about learn to earn, I'm talking about how to create value and earn money. And it's all focused on these kids finding their unique ability, what they like, what they're good at, and what someone might actually pay for. And once they get all three of those as a kid, the sooner they can learn that, the better. You know, we talk about with my kids, we talk about the results-based economy and the time-based economy, which you've mentioned many times through Coach. And my daughter is actually, my 17-year-old is saving up money for a service trip, a three-week service trip in Zimbabwe. And it's coming up this summer. And she's got to earn her entire $5,000 and fund it herself. And it's a service trip. You know, she's not going to be earning money. But she's a nationally sponsored, Adidas-sponsored basketball player. She's a very talented basketball player. And so... She went on Saturdays or on non-school holidays like Christmas break. She does private skills training for kids who are ages 7 to 12. But when she's doing these skills trainings, she's making $140 an hour. And I said, you realize that you could be working at a local fast food chain like some friends of yours making $14 an hour doing something you don't enjoy. You might be mopping the floor or cleaning the toilets or picking up trash. $14 an hour minus taxes, and you're making $140 an hour doing something you really love, which is playing sports outside. You know, and so my son, the second one who's 14, he's engineer, he's a hands-on kinesthetic high implementer, and he's doing a couple business things with a 3D printer where he gets to use his hands and he gets to make a lot more money than if he was just taking a time-based job. And so I think you're spot on, Dan, that helping kids discover their unique abilities and then thrive in something like that is going to give them more confidence. And frankly, it makes me wonder if the whole college route is even, the university route is even worth it. I mean, yes, it's an important certificate, I guess, as a baseline. But if they can discover what they're good at, what they like, and how they can create value in the world, then I don't think that other stuff becomes as important. Mm -hmm. How does this fit in with sort of family life, what you're talking about? Because... What I notice is that there's sort of a, an attitude on the part of people who are looking at, you know, what holds everything together. And I've come down to an appreciation of religion as religion plays a part in people's lives. The book that I just put out, American Happiness. Love that book, by the way. Read it twice. The whole point is, I say there are certain mindsets that Americans have mm -hmm. that the creation of the country, the activity of creating the country has forged certain mindsets. If you didn't have these mindsets, it was hard for you to be successful in the way the country formed. The other thing is that it's an immigrant's country, so that a certain type of individual from far away in the world, Europe or Africa or, you know, a lot of it's Asia now, they are where they were born unique in a certain entrepreneurial attitude that a lot of things are fixed in their life, property for one thing in many places of the world. If your family doesn't have property, you're probably not going to have any property, you know, 
as you get to be an adult too, they're attracted to a possibility and they, you know, the U.S. has always done a good job of advertising itself around the planet, you know, through culture, a lot through culture. So when they came over, we've had now 400 years, you know, basically in 20 year generations, we've had five times four. So we've probably had 20, 30 somewhere between 20 and 30 generations here. And there's a certain kind of DNA that forms from that. I go through seven mindsets. The first one is individualism. Second one is ingenuity. The third one is exceptionalism. Fourth one is teamwork. Fifth one is growth. Sixth one is transformation. And number seven is winning. Americans don't like this participation medals. They don't like <laughs> showing up medals. They like clean winner, clean loser, you know. Agreed. But the eighth one is the one that I've had the most conversation about, is that Americans uniquely as a people, uniquely in the world, and uh, uniquely in that, that it's totally voluntary, uniquely feel they have a direct relationship with God. The vast majority of America, oh. even Americans who do not go to any particular church still right, have right. a feeling about that. And my sense is that's one side of the political spectrum in the United States right now. The other political spectrum has its values, but at the center where my side and the side of most people that I talk to, you know, I have God in the center, you know, and people say, you mm -hmm. believe in God? And I said, no, I don't believe in God. I experience God. I said, it's not a belief, it's an experience. And I said, but I'm also clear that there are other people who don't have the experience. But what I notice is when they don't have that experience, they tend to have sort of like governments in the center, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that seeing government as a religion really, really creates some very fundamental problems for someone with an entrepreneurial-minded approach to the world. Would you say that that would be true? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And to me and to my family, we're faith-based family, and there's nothing the government could say that would make them a higher authority in my life. So that's definitely not something that mm -hmm. I would look forward to is more and more and more government making decisions for my family when we feel that we can make those best decisions for our family as parents. Yeah. Do you have any uh, sense that your example of what you're doing has influenced other families? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked to many people because we did this, you know, it's been over a year, year and a half. So we've had other families who have kind of latched on and, and made similar decisions. I think sometimes it takes a few bold people to do things mm -hmm. against the traditional system that will open up the doors for others to take those same steps. Yeah. Probably in your favor is the statistics from the rental truck industry. Mm. As far as one-way trips out of California last year, they ran out of trucks. Yeah, we have many neighbors who've left California. One of them, they said it, to drive a U-Haul truck to South Carolina was going to be $11,000 one way. To drive it back, it was $800. <laughs> and so he had to take two trips and he well, said- Well, otherwise, how do they get the trucks back, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So he ended up just buying a trailer because he had two trips and he said, it's just not worth it. Yeah. You know, so I think we're seeing a change in the way people view education, especially of yeah. their young children. And it's just a, it's a great reset, I think, to really question the systems that have been in place for so long and say, what are my children being taught? 
And what would I like them to be taught? Mm-hmm. One of the things I really appreciate about your book, Chad, is that it educates parents as well as the kids. It's like to do a financial literacy curriculum, most people are like, mm, I've got two or three of the seven things that you talk about. And I know for me, it took me until mid to late 20s. Like I understood spending and saving. Right. Investing wasn't even on the radar. That was a completely sure. foreign concept. And it's, I'm still learning, but I'm much better now in my 50s. What I love about it is it's, yes, it's for kids, but you're going to read it as a parent and you actually equip you as a parent to be able to go, oh, this is what my kids need to know. I probably need to bone up on this, this, and this. And I really feel like you've given this amazing guide to people to give them confidence about what people need to know to mm-hmm. be independent, to be successful, to actually accomplish American happiness, you know, and right. to be able to participate in that. So I know I really appreciate it from my own education standpoint. So then I can pass it on to my kids who are 18 and 21. I'm like, Darn, I wish I knew this earlier. <laughs> Would have been really helpful. Never too late. Yeah, I just appreciate the perspective and the clarity and the models and the examples you have in the book, too. It, as a parent, it makes it way easier for me. Oh, thank you. I feel like we added a lot of little parent tips in there. I put in a lot of stories from other parents. But then at the end of each chapter, I have something called Try This at Home Family Activities. So just throw in some little examples and ideas that families could actually try and implement instead of just thinking about the topic as a philosophy. Yeah, let's get a plug in here. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, sure. Yeah, Smart Not Spoiled. Is there a preferred way that you want people to order the books or just go to Amazon? Just go to Amazon. Yeah, I did this book, Stress-Free Money. My first book, I had a professional voice actor do it and this book was so full of personal stories with me and my kids that I did the voice audiobook myself, went to the studio and did it here in L.A. So, yeah, Shannon and I don't even bother reading the text. We say, you know, if you want, <laughs> if you want the exact text, read the text. But Shannon just interviews me. I'd like to jump just a bit, Chad, and go to the collaboration yes. with Scott, because this is enormously scalable, the next thing that you're talking about. I think the book is very scalable and it will be a tool that accompanies. But I think the thing that you're doing with Scott Donnell is really extraordinary. It's exciting. So the company we started is called Gravy Stack. Gravy Stack is reimagining finance for kids. It blossomed out of him hearing about this book and he already had a business that was doing business fairs, child business fairs for kids. And then he heard about Smart Not Spoiled and we we connected almost a year ago, flew out to Arizona, my wife and I and met with him and his wife and just hit it off. We had plans to have dinner for an hour and it was 1130. It was like a five hour dinner and they kicked us out of the restaurant. So Gravy Stack is, we're planning to launch between April and May of 2022. It's going to be a financial banking app for kids. I don't even know where to start, Dan, to be honest. We're so excited about it. I think it's going to disrupt the banking system in a very big way for kids. Just Let's like- talk about two capabilities here because sure. it's a collaboration between two entrepreneurs that you check off the boxes, you're cash confident that you're actually in relationship to this. You are devoted to the same hero target here. True. You know, and that's True. what holds collaborations together is that it's for 
the parents and children yes. to acquire not only knowledge, but working capability of how to work with the banking system. Yes. Or the financial system in, yes. in general. So like you said, we're both entrepreneurs who have cash confidence and big ideas. I bring the financial expertise and the 20 years of experience there. And he brings just an amazing visionary skill and the technology background. He's a tech visionary for sure. And we've hired experts from Amazon Pay, from Venmo, from PayPal. We've got some tech experts that have been in the financial industry. We were just on the phone before this call, actually. And we've got a hire that coming in that's one of the best tech and gamifying experts in the industry. So it's going to be an app that not only is a banking app for kids, but it teaches entrepreneurship, financial literacy. Kids are going to be able to challenge each other. We're actually going to be... I don't know if we've talked too much about it publicly yet, but we're going to have an element of cryptocurrency and NFTs for kids based on the financial literacy challenges that they're earning. So a lot of exciting stuff. You know, when you were telling me about it, because we also had dinner with Scott a couple months ago in Scottsdale, Babs and I had just been on the trip with Peter Diamandis yes. on the breakthrough regenerative medicine. But one of our stops was in Manchester, New Hampshire with Dean Kamen. And Dean Kamen is like a throwback inventor to the end of the 19th century. I don't even know if he has a college degree, but he's got 80 inventions to his name. You know, he has, you can call it a wheelchair, but it's not really a wheelchair but it can go up and down stairs. You know, he, he invented this and go up and down stairs. And a lot of his main customers for a lot of his health-related products and that are the Veterans Administration. It's for battlefield. Wow. Individuals who are crippled on the battlefield. And right now he is printing skin. Actually, with 3D printers, are printing skin for burn patients, battlefield burn, and then also actually growing new bones using the original DNA of the injured person and ligaments. And so that's what he's doing. But he's got this very interesting thing that's called FIRST, F-I-R-S-T. And if you want to talk about it crudely, it's one million children worldwide who form into teams of usually around eight people and they're usually school-sponsored. It's a high school-sponsored thing. And as a team, they'll create a robot, and then they go into a worldwide competition, and they have local, district, regional, national, and then world wow. championships. Babs and I sponsored two schools this year. It's 10,000. And that brings in a skilled instructor. Otherwise, everything is provided you know, by the children themselves. But... It would be worth your while to watch their model and see if you can do this with Gravy Train. Gravy Stack, yeah. Gravy Stack, I'm sorry, Gravy Stack. Gravy Train comes later. This is good. Yes, gravy, gravy Train is their outcome, yes. <laughs> <laughs> For both us and the kids, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Gravy Stack is the skill acquisition and Gravy Train is Correct. the breakthrough result of the capabilities. Absolutely. But the big thing, if you could think about it, because you could actually use almost like the scout movement or something that there's levels of capability and levels yes. of competition. Yeah, certification. Certification, Absolutely. yeah. Yep. In fact, we plan to have 
a certification program. I've been the Merit Badge Counselor in the Boy Scouts of America for the Personal Financial Merit Badge for 20 years. And so I modeled some of that certification progression in the Gravy Stack app, and we've got a team working on that. But kids will be able to be Gravy Stack certified, which eventually will mean something. They'll be able to say, I have some financial independence literacy, some achievement that they can use in the real world. So, Yeah, I think it's enormous because the next educational system will not look like the educational system that's not working. Agreed. Okay. It's going to be a completely different form. Agreed. And my sense, if you have this capability development and then a competitive aspect, did I mention that Americans really like winning? Winning (laughs) is uh, the experience. And I think it's quite natural. So that'll put the team in it. We'll lend you our eight American, you know, happiness mindsets to be part of the educational system. I think you're spot on though, Dan, because if you include all those elements within the learning for these kids, and that's what the parents want, like you said, the parents want this independence, this innovation, winning, success, all these different opportunities, freedoms. You know, these are the things that they want for their kids. And I think when we involve technology in a fun, gamified way, it's not like we're the banks today. The, the banks today are like the traditional schools. They're outdated, they're corporate, they're institutional, they're these big blocks of nothingness where there's bureaucratic stuff everywhere. What they're doing at the banks is they just literally are giving kids a debit card and a packet of jargon, sending it home with the kids. The kids are never going to read it. They're not going to learn. And so as we're creating these really cool avatars and and the skins and the, the coins and the fun gamification where they can actually choose what they want to look like in the games and compete with friends and challenge friends and see the leaderboards and things like that. It's just a totally different approach to the education and financial systems that like the school systems and the banking systems are just kind of old school outdated. Yeah, it's very interesting. The history, I'm sort of a history buff and I looked at the history of the American public school system And it actually has its roots in Germany. Germany was the first country that really put in a public school system, and that was in the 1830s, 1840s. Germany wasn't actually a country until about 1870. They were all these little duchies, and and then it was all melded together, and they created this system, and it was very, very German-based. It came to the United States because even today, the largest ethnic percentage in the American population is actually German. 46% of the American population has German ancestry. So there was this connection. And part of it, which actually triggered it, was that when the Catholics came to North America, they already had a school system. The Catholics always had a school system. Like, I had 12 years, 1 to 12 in a Catholic school, and there were two Catholic parishes. 50% of the population in my town was Catholic. And they had this system right from the beginning. When the Catholics planted, they brought the school system with them. You know, America is essentially a Protestant Christian country. Canada is actually more Catholic than the United States. And so they saw a real worry that in the marketplace for opportunity and the marketplace for achievement, that these Catholic kids were going to run ahead of the process. So there was this rush move to make sure that they had their own 
system and that it was funded by the government, you know, that it would be a government-funded system. And, you know, it did what it needed to do for when the main objective were these big systems, you know. I have no complaint, but when the big systems are no longer the model of the world that anyone is going to go in, and you're becoming even more that way in your school system, it seems to me that there's a worthlessness right. to the activity. Totally. And I'm leaving this conversation about Smart Not Spoiled, about Gravy Stack, really encouraged about how things, to use our criteria, Dan, could be faster, easier, cheaper, bigger results for our kids. Yeah. Because it does feel like existing systems are slow and bulky and bureaucratic. Yes. Yes. And not so much really focused on the output for the kids, but rather for the benefit of the people in the system. So I'm... I'm even more excited <laughs> than I was coming in about the possibilities and the speed, you know, between YouTube and Gravy Stack and all the ways that people can learn now. And gamification is completely the way to get kids' attention. You've really, I think, contributed a major element to assisting parents with their kids to get a new, better reality for their children, which was what all of us really want. Thank you. Yeah, I think it will grow itself through entrepreneurial networking. First of all, it's a elective system. I mean, you have to right. pay for this system. So it's not subsidized. It's not a subsidized system. But, you know, entrepreneurs are also the most charitable of individuals. I mean, that's proven by the statistics that people who own their companies are the most charitable and generally contribute the most to their communities because they've got the freedom of time, money, relationship, and purpose to do it. It seems like you're doing something that's a perfect fit right here between the exponential growth. It's not the number of people who are entrepreneurs, but the capabilities of entrepreneurs that are being multiplied by technology and networking and a lot of the concepts that we're teaching in Strategic Coach about collaboration and teamwork. I think your timing is just really good right here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. And like Shannon said, I feel like these innovations and these concepts are going to be more attractive as people are realizing kind of that old staunchy traditional system is not creating the output and the outcomes for kids that our kids deserve in a changing world and a high tech world where the world is more flat than it ever used to be. Yeah. We need to be moving it quickly. You know, these kids, their attention spans are short. You can't sit them in a classroom and treat them all the same when they've all got, like you said, different unique abilities and different interests. Well, their attention span is short, except when they're hyper-focused. And when they're doing what they love, yeah. when they get to choose electively, like you said, when they choose what they're learning and they choose what to focus on, the sky's the limit. When they're stuck in a box, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Chad, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fun to have this wide-ranging conversation about education, but more importantly, just how to get your kids to be financially literate, which probably means you're going to be more so Show as well. Show the book again. Sure, yeah. Here it is. Okay. Smart yeah. Not Spoiled. We'll yeah, there you go. Shannon even brought it. Look, on the travel. I appreciate that. Um, I brought it I with me on my that. trip. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so go to Amazon. Yeah, it's on Amazon, all the good sources, and also looking forward to Gravy Stack. That'll be pretty exciting. Thank you. Thank Great. you very much. I'm excited. Thanks, Chad. Thanks.